Welcome to an SGPA digital presentation, The Role of Cannabinoids in Dermatology. Our presenter is Douglas DiRogero. Douglas DiRogero has over 20 years of clinical experience in dermatology. He is a nationally recognized medical lecturer, accomplished founder and president of several dermatology societies, and a passionate dermatology teacher. Douglas has presented at over 50 conferences, has been awarded a National Clinical Science Award for published research, Clinical Preceptor of the Year by NPPA and Residency Programs, Humanitarian PA of the Year for the State of Georgia, the prestigious Presidential Volunteer Service Lifetime Achievement Award, and was named the National Dermatology PA of the Year by the SDPA. He completed a Doctorate of Medical Sciences degree with an emphasis in healthcare leadership and evidence-based research in May of 2019. Please welcome Douglas DiRogero. Hi guys. Another Bowtie Dermatology session by Douglas T. Ruggiero. I appreciate you um, being part of the STPA 2020 Digital Conference, and I hope that this session will be informational to you. It's certainly going to be fun. We're talking about the role of the cannabinoids in dermatology. And I uh, just want to say that stepping into dermatology is tough because you have to use terms you've never heard of to describe conditions you've never heard of. And now we're talking about using products that maybe we've never even used before. Maybe some of you have, haven't. But you know, there, there has been some good interest in having knowledge of, of the cannabinoids in dermatology. This survey study that went out in 2018, published in 2018, as you can kind of see here, showed that 94% of, of prescribers that were uh, dermatologists that were surveyed said that they believe that research in the dermatology uh, cannabis world is needed. 55% said that a little over half that they had at least one patient initiated discussion about using cannabis or cannabis products or CBD oils in their office. And 48% about half were concerned about the negative stigma that would come from actually prescribing or recommending these products to their patients. So this is a really relevant topic for us. And, uh, and I think you'll see why as we go through it. I have no conflicts. I didn't smoke any weed while I was preparing this lecture. Maybe you wish I had, or maybe I should do it now. Maybe it'll come across better. But at any rate, and this is neither meant to be an endorsement of using cannabis uh, in your office, recommending it, nor anything that's pejorative uh, is towards the, the use of it. We're just going to look at data and look at the information. You draw your own conclusions. I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't do, uh, which is the right exchange for information. Look, if you're older than 30 years old, perhaps your cannabis worldview has been shaped by Hollywood. As we look at, <clears throat> at Cheech and Chong, up in smoke, and these guys made a whole career out of out of this uh, persona that they had with their movies, and even the Cheech and Chong Open Smoke Hot Wheels car. It was an awesome thing to have. With you see the little fuzz coming out of the uh, out of the top over the smoke coming out. So very creative. But they still have Up and Smoke festivals all around the world in Brazil, in the United States, in Europe, where people are celebrating this movie and celebrating in big fashion. Also, other movies: Mel Brooks, History of the World, with Red Roman. Breakfast Club, Fast Times, all of these movies may maybe shaped you to have a positive or negative view of what uh, this medicine uh, is, can do and, is, and how it can be utilized. It's still designated as a Schedule I drug according to the Controlled Substance Act of 1970. That means that the substance has no therapeutic value and high potential for abuse. That's how the language is written. Now, we've had some changes that have come and lots of changes that have come. Times are changing. Now 47 states have made 
made it legal in some form, uh, not all recreational use, but in some medical form or CBD form in 47 states with only Idaho, South Dakota, and Nebraska, I have a total ban on marijuana. And maybe that's gonna change even with this next election cycle. So you need to know your own state laws. Because while the FDA doesn't oversee medical marijuana, uh, like it does other prescription drugs, states are monitoring it in different ways. So the strength and the amount of ingredients, systematic, topical uh, medical marijuana products all have very differing state to state. And until something comes across federally, we're going to have this rub that's always going to be between state law and federal law. And how to handle this with employers is going to be a very tough thing to have to navigate. And it's already being tough today. But the times are changing. You can see just by the covers on Time Magazine, National Geographic, History. Look at all of these different magazines that are out, just showing you how prevalent that uh, medical marijuana is becoming and recreational marijuana. We've got stars that are promoting it in many different ways. We've got shows on on Showtime. We've got uh, celebrities that are talking about how it's how it's uh, it's being utilized. And so this is something that's very much on on the forefront of what we are doing. And not just that, not just Hollywood celebs, but you look at this letter from Sanjay Gupta, who was the um, medical correspondent uh, for a news channel for a long time. And he did a five-year study into the use of cannabis for multiple medical uh, conditions and wrote a letter to Jeff Sessions, a former U.S. Uh, Attorney General, saying that he feels like th that the U.S. has been systematically misled on the potential uh, use for this product and its uh, uh, potential uh, help and, and not harm. So that's his opinion on it. But all of this has created momentum to where now these states have created these laws to allow the selling of this, but not just the states. So what happened in October 2018 is that the Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, quote unquote, the 2018 Farm Bill, there was a Farm Bill back in 2014, this is an updated version of it, actually uh, created a legal distinction between cannabis and hemp. We're going to talk about those differences, but it defines hemp as any part of the cannabis uh, sativa plant, including all its derivatives, all of its extracts, that has less than 0.3 of THC, which is the more of the psychoactive uh, component of marijuana that gives us all those features that you tend to see in these movies that we're talking about. That tetrahydrocannabidiol is the one that has more of a neural effect and a psych effect. And these products to be classified and to be used has to have less than three tenths of 1% of it. So whether you like it or not, cannabis trained is coming to your practice and you're gonna have to address it. And maybe if it's not coming to your practice, it's coming to your stock portfolio because we see cannabis stocks, marijuana stocks. There's now 13 or 14 that are pure marijuana stocks that are on the stock market now. And these are incorporated into these. So this is a, this has really become very, very prevalent as you can see all of these uh, websites that are talking about cannabis uh, in the financial investment world. Huge billions of dollars of sales that you see here and the projections that by 2025 are $13 billion worth medical total use of these products and on the recreational side as well, a total of $23 billion projected by 2025. And not only that, we saw these other magazine covers, but now we have full business magazines on cannabis now for growers, for consumers, for distributors on business, cannabis business times, cannabis marijuana ventures. So all of these things are very, very prevalent. And, and the celebs are starting to get on board with it too, where Whoopi has created her own distribution and her own product line as well as Roseanne. 
uh, Rosambar, and, and they both are doing this because they use it themselves for different reasons and they're beginning to promote it. So this is a big business, guys, a really big business. When I look up the state of Georgia, which is where I practice, where it is now legal to use CBD uh, oils that contain less than 0.3%, it's confusing. And that's why a lot of states have confusing laws, because technically we can use low THC and high CBD uh, oils and can be issued a card. You can have a card that you carry with you that says that you are allowed to be having these products. The problem is that the law doesn't allow it to be cultivated or grown in the state of Georgia, and it is illegal to import it into the state. So which means that if you've bought it here, you've either bought it from out of state and carried it across state lines, which is illegal, or you've grown it in the state in order to have it, which is illegal, or you've bought it from someone who brought it across state lines, which is illegal. So it kind of has made the current law in this quotation here are currently somewhat useless. And that's an opinion of that particular website. But this is the complexity of having to navigate your state law to figure out about these things. Because they can have consequences. We see the THC is being put into these vaping cartridges and electric cigarettes, and they can induce comas. It can be, uh, it can be very, very serious side effects to some of these products. So you want to know what people are doing. And an Amsterdam-based company now has created the Canadum which is, a, which is a, a latex condom that's flavored and uh, seasoned with cannabis. Take it for what you will. Now we have vaginal suppositories for the ladies for menstrual cramps to be able to, to use this. As it says, this is not hippy-dippy propaganda as you see here. This is if you have a female reproductive system, then this can help take away those menstrual cramps. So these are all the things that our patients are reading online. I'm not advocating the use of any of these things from a medical random control uh, trial data substance, but all, I'm, substance, but all I'm saying is that our patients are seeing this stuff online, are reading these things from Dr. Google, and you need to understand uh, what they're saying so that you can talk to them about it. Rectal marijuana, more effective than smoking joints. Of course it is, the absorption is extraordinarily higher, and, and people are beginning to use these capsules in a rectal form in order to try to treat themselves. So you, this is just letting you know what is out there and what you have to navigate through. And of course, there are body creams, there's hemp seed oils, there's lip balms, there's soaps, or shampoos, conditioners, and all these things. What I'm saying, we're gonna look at the data and see if it really has a good medicinal effect, has good results and good safety profile, but you just need to, I'm just opening your eyes perhaps, to, if you haven't looked into all of these things to see all the wide variety of stuff that is out there and can be purchased at local stores or online. So the cannabinoids, it's really is being touted as the next generation of dermatological skincare products. Not being touted by Nestle dermatologists or folks that are running controlled trials, but being touted by the public and those that are dispensing this from different clinics. In fact, if you read about it, it may come across as a modern day panacea. Look at all the different things that according to Google images, right? Google, it can slow down and kill cancer cells. It can stop HIV from spreading. It can help with PTSD and depression. It can treat epilepsy. Now we have some FDA approval for some of these things and some trials for all of these disorders, treating glaucoma, post-seizure symptoms. So all of this stuff, I'm not saying all of this is totally unsubstantiated. I'm just saying that it's easy for a patient to read this list and just think that it's all automatically definitely true and it's going to work for all of these conditions and the data just doesn't necessarily support that. In fact, look at this here. Melanoma treated with a cannabis oil. This is what I got off of the internet, Google Images, completely unsubstantiated report on Google. In less than 60 days, this melanoma was treated from seven millimeter deep hole. Now this is not a physician who posted this, this is a patient, right, a, a, a person. I'm not even saying they're patient because I don't know who would be treating them. 
It was down to the bone and came all the way back to normal. Well, this tells you nothing about whether or not the melanoma was actually treated. It just simply shows you that the biopsy site healed and filled in. So, I mean, it says right here, cannabis oil once again successfully treats a cancer. So this gives the impression that this is a successful treatment for melanoma and nothing could be further from the truth. So these are the kind of impressions that we're gonna have to be able to speak intelligently about. So I want you to understand all the terms. We're gonna do an overview of some of the medical benefits. We're gonna talk about cannabis use in dermatology and look at the different derm, con derm conditions that are there. So let's, let's kind of dive into that. So a cannabinoid, this is a class of very diverse chemical compounds. They act on cannabinoid receptors, which we have in our body. And it creates what, what's known as the endocannabinoid system within the cells. And you have endocannabinoids, which is produced naturally by the body, okay, in animals. We have photocannabinoids, which is found in plants, okay, most notable THC, which I mentioned, but also cannabidiol is another major constituent of the plant, which doesn't have the psychoactive component to it. And then we have synthetic cannabinoids. And this is where the real research and a lot of, a lot of the information is coming out and is being put into because we can generate these and kind of maybe control some of the potential side effects that these medicines have. So with these synthetics, these are distinct chemical classes, classical or non-classical, structurally related to THC, perhaps not the same side effects as THC itself. Remember, there's over 113 cannabis isolates that comes out of, out of an individual plant. So there's a lot that's mixed in there. Before the 1980s, we didn't really know much about this cannabinoid or endocannabinoid system in our body, but we do know now that there are two main types of cannabinoid receptors, a CB1 receptor and a cannabinoid 2 or CB1. CB2 receptor, and there's mounting evidence for potentially more or other things which we'll discuss. CB1 is found predominantly in the nervous system itself, and CB2, CB2 is, is found pretty much everywhere outside of the nervous system. There is some slight overlap in some of these systems, but you can see here that CB1 predominantly in the brain stem, in the limbic system, in the cerebellum, also can be found in the reproductive system. It also found in the anterior eye and the retina. That's why some of the side effects from, from smoking cannabis can give you the red eyes, not just the irritation from the smoke out there, but it's actually you have receptors there that can give you that bloodshot eye appearance to it. And some of the treatments do that. But when you look at the CB2 receptors, predominantly found in the immune system, immune derived cells, great density in the spleen, it's found in the skin, it's found in, uh, and interacts with the dendritic system in the skin itself. But they appear, this CBD, the CB2, receptor seems to be more responsible for the anti-inflammatory and therapeutic effects of cannabis that we're going to see in some of these models. When you upregulate that, when if it's an agonist and upregulates it, then it tends to downregulate uh, inflammation. So the expression of CB1 and 2 is identified in sensory nerve cells, inflammatory cells, and adnexal structures in the skin. So we have these receptors, both of these with predominance of CB2 in the skin itself, Therefore, because it's in the scan, according to this 2005 study, seems to make sense that formulations aimed at influences the cutaneous morphology may have some uh, effects on the psychoactive areas or may not. But that's why we want to look at how to design these things so that there's nothing that's there. And more recent studies have talked about the therapeutic effect of this TRPV1 receptor. So there may be something even outside of CB1 and CB2 that is giving us the therapeutic anti-inflammatory effects and other medicinal effects from these two, from these things. This is a transient receptor potential channel, and the V in that is, stands for, for villanoid, like vanilla or velanoid. 
And this is just a study that shows that the CB1 and CB2 are considered to be the most, uh, you know, the canonical cannabinoid receptors, the ones that are uh, the paramount, but there's a significant overlap between these ligands and the TRP receptors. And we know that the vanilla bean, which is used in some extracts for pain management, contains a, a compound that has an analgesic property. And this TRP V1, it's, a, it's like a vanilla, like the vanilla acting as one of the, it's, it's vanillinoid one receptor site and it can mediate pain reception, inflammation and body temperature as well. So this TRPV1 is kind of the new kid on the block, newer than the, the um, discovery of CB1 and CB2 and its activation and its down regulation or upregulation can affect, as you see here, cytokines, IL-5 and 6 and 13 and 25. All these play a role in atopic dermatitis, some of these in psoriasis and itch cycles, reduces inflammation, reduces prostaglandin production. So this is what these things have the potential to do. So let's talk about the plant itself. Cannabis plant, three different main varieties, the the sativa, the indica, and the ruderalis. This is the genus is cannabis and the species are these here. So genus and species itself. And marijuana itself, when you hear the word marijuana, it's basically just the dried flowers of a female cannabis plant itself. Whether that cannabis plant is a, is a, a, a sativa cannabis plant, an indica cannabis plant, whatever the variety of it is, the dried female flower is what is called marijuana itself. So cannabis is the genus and it can be split into two main types, the indica or the sativa. Hemp is a member of the sativa, or I'm saying sativa, it's pronounced by the of the sativa cannabis plant itself. It's tall, it's sturdy, it's, uh, it's more fibrous, intensive, and hemp has been around. I mean, we have discovered pots from 8,000 years ago, pottery that had hemp woven in the middle of it with clay put around the outside of it. So hemp has been used for thousands of years, you know, for its, um, for its strength and weaving into materials and into rope itself. But these two products and these two species have different productions, one higher in THC, the other higher in CBD. And so this cannabis uh, sativa family, it's hemp is not the male portion of marijuana plant. I see it a lot online. The female flower is marijuana and hemp is not the opposite of that. Hemp is just a cannabis plant harvested if because of its stalks and seeds to be able to use for multiple purposes, hemp seed and hemp seed oil, but it has significant amounts of the cannabidiol. And the cannabidiol is the product that doesn't have the THC, opposite of the THC, so it doesn't have that great effect on creating the side effects of the um, psychoactive areas. So we have indigo versus sativa, more than 100 chemicals in these, and we see that in the indica version, much higher THC levels, so this can be grown, because you want THC levels high and certain if you're trying to control different conditions like epilepsy, even maybe some skin disorders and, uh, and pain. You want high CBD levels, which is with, which has THC less than 0.3% in order to be legal in some states, in order to have this included uh, and to be able to, to use these. And this can upregulate the CB2 receptor and give us some of the anti-inflammatory effects. So people are very, very savvy with growing these things to try to increase or decrease the levels of THC versus CBD in these products in order to get them balanced out for whatever the purposes is. And this has become a big business. You know, these large marijuana growers in multiple states. And again, 
like uh, it's uh, likened to a wine grower who's who's changing uh, temperature, changing soil pH, changing moisture controls in order to get some of these plants in order to increase their THC level if they're going for that purpose or decrease THC and increase the CBD component to it in order to grow up for those particular purposes or have certain ratios of those. So in short, CBD is the cannabidiol. It's a natural compound found both in marijuana, found in hemp, but they're gonna grow it in certain ways to increase CBD production. We tend to see more CBD production in hemp plants or that version of the um, cannabis uh, sativa plant had, tends to have a higher uh, percentage of CBD and it comes in all varieties of oils that you can drop on your tongue, you can apply to the skin, you can apply to the scalp, a whole variety of things that are out there. It comes in gummies, it comes in swallowable CBD oil capsules, it comes in muscle relaxer, joint relief oil, so all kind of things are out there. Shampoos, deodorants, and you can even buy it for your horse and for your dog and for everybody else in the family. So, but can the CBD oils make you high and is it addictive? Well, it in and of itself, it has neuro, no neuroactive properties. So it's never been proven to induce any type of chemical in, in addiction at all with CBD. The problem is that a lot of CBD products also have THC that's infused in them. So if a patient or if you're recommending a CBD product, you need to make sure you know what the THC product or the active ingredient is because it's the higher the THC becomes, the more neuroactive it becomes. It also becomes an issue of the employer if they're checking them on a drug screen panel that THC can be picked up. So if it's pure CBD oil, like 100% and no THC, then you shouldn't test positive. But even some people disagree with me on that and say even CBD can sometimes convert that test and can show that, you're, uh, that you are using this, uh, that you're using marijuana, quote unquote, when it may just be CBDs that you are doing. So know to check the ingredients and counsel your patients about it. Because as I said before, all of these different subtypes are either high in CBD, or they're either low in CBD, high uh, hemp uh, CBD oil, high cannabis oil. These are all different ingredients and cocktails which they they say works better for different uh, in different um, types of presentations. So we know that THC has a neuroactive component, or CBD tends to not. They both can have an anti-inflammatory effect. They both have different medicinal properties. And we know that the, that the cannabis indica produces much higher values of THC, much higher quantities, where the uh, sativa variety produces, tends to produce much more CBD, all right? Marijuana is the female flowering part. Hemp is, a, is not the male portion, but is a, a type of sativa plant that puts out a lot of CBD. So these are all different terms that you don't have to really memorize, but just need to know that they're there. So medical marijuana has been used for a number of conditions, including all of these. Look at all these different books that have been put out on CBD oils for post-traumatic stress disorder, Crohn's disease, Alzheimer's, epilepsy, glaucoma, muscle spasms. And these are all things that have, if not anecdotal, non-controlled um, case reports on them having benefits from it. But if we're gonna look at what FDA has officially approved, then we would see that there have been really three products that are FDA approved for use. You can see the Marinol and the Sesamet have been approved for quite a while for, for a treatment of chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. And so this uh, tends to calm the stomach and maybe increases the appetite in, in order to hold down some food. The more recent in 2018 was a cannabidiol, not a THC product, but a cannabidiol product 
called Epidiolex, which is used for a, a rare form of seizure disorder itself. So we now have three products, two THC focused, one CBD focused that are now FDA approved for treatment. Now these aren't for derm conditions, but it just shows you that we have three of them out there. And when you look at some of the data, you can see, has it, does it help with seizures? What's well, already approved for, one, for two rare forms of epilepsy. Now we have this CBD-based drug that's now out there. Can it help with arthritis? HIV-associated neuropathy studies may strongly suggest that it does. Muscle spasms related to MS, mounting positive evidence with that. Might it keep your blood pressure stabilized when you're stressed? Don't know. Fault, you know, many claims online, but I don't see any trials in it. Might it help specifically with diabetes, Alzheimer's? Still don't know. Is it good to use with chemotherapy drugs that make them work better, particularly in killing breast cells? Well, shows some promise in the area, particularly in lab mice, but no trials in humans that have been completed. So basically what I'm saying is a lot more research needs to be done. And especially when we know that things like this are being put on the internet and patients are reading these things and are being probably falsely led or given false hope about these products being used. And you know, we do know I will say this, that if this is one of several studies that is out that's looking at exploiting the cannabinoid uh, cytotoxic, this, uh, this apoptosis drive towards melanoma cells. So while this is just basically showing us wound healing, we are seeing that there's been a few trials out there, this first one in 2015, that in vitro and in vivo studies only, okay, that treatment with THC and CBD may help decrease the viability of melanoma cells itself. And as I broke this study down a little bit for you to look at, it says that it increases the cell death of melanoma cells in a dose-dependent manner. Okay, no increase in cell death of normal melanocytes was seen. So this is such preliminary data. We're, we're talking about data that's mainly in animal models and in vivo and in vitro. Um, and just looking at, uh, at, at outside of, of the body itself, just looking at whether or not it can affect melanocyte growth or melanoma cell growth. So, but it does show you what, uh, what people are looking at to try to see what type of benefits we have. Now, if we look at systemic sclerosis, we're seeing some, some uh, positive changes here with, with uh, sclerotic disorders. The ball got rolling in 2009 with cannabinoid receptor CB2 showing an antifibrotic effect on experimental dermafibrosis. And then we had synthetic cannabinoids, this agelimic acid, which is a type of a CB2 synthetic uh, cannabinoid, has, a, has now shown some very promising antifibrotic uh, anti effects on experimental systems. If we look at uh, this one trial in 2009, where they took mice, they injected the mice with bleomycin, which tends to induce systemic and cutaneous fibrosis of the skin. When they took mice and did this, they had no CB2 uh, receptors at all. They were total knockout CB2s. They had increased thickening, worsening of the fibrosis, okay? But if they took a wild uh, a mouse that had CB2 and, and enhanced it and then gave them bleomycin, it didn't show any inflammatory response or increased dermal thickening. So what this basically shows is that it seems to be that the CB2 um, receptor is very important in terms of being able to manage and control sclerosis and, and um, cutaneous fibrosis and systemic fibrosis itself. When we look at the, the 2012 study on agelitic acid, which is a synthetic form of THC and CBD, it is upregulating, it's an agonist, it's not an antagonist, it's an agonist of CB1 and CB2. And we can see here that when mice are exposed to this, this agelitic acid, they became resistant to dermal fibrosis secondary to the bleomycin injections itself. So there are currently two uh, phase two trials with uh, agelitic acid and systemic sclerosis and skin predominant dermatomyositis. So we can see that we'll have to kind of 
keep our ear to the ground and see if this is really going to make a difference with uh, using this product. How does that affect the TRPV family member? I saying it may not just be CB1 and CB2 receptors that are playing the part, but maybe this other, um, this other entity. And, it just, and we do know that the TRPV uh, channels have an important role in the regulation of the vasculature supply and fibrotic uh, growths, and so that could also be playing a part. So the endocannabinoid system plays a key role in many of the physiological and pathological conditions and in its dysregulation, it's been described in several room conditions itself. So if we look at the International Journal of Biochem, we will look at this in 2018, looking at systemic lupus erythematosus, the first evidence of using a metabolism system that the endocannabinoids may be, the endocannabinoid system in your body may be playing a role in systemic lupus. And when they used a topical endocannabinoid um, system in mice, they could see that it impacted cutaneous lupus erythematosus. So this is very early studies, abstracts that have been submitted, studies that have been submitted, which just shows you where the research is going to see if these things are making a difference at all. When we look at the CLE study that was done, they concluded that using a topical administration of a cream that it has the CBD in it and fused into it significantly prevented the development of cutaneous lupus in well-established animal models. Again, these are animal models. And so it helped lupus-prone mice using these, uh, these topical releasing uh, agents twice per week for 10 weeks compared to controlled arms. So again, we're seeing on animal models and some anecdotal and small study models that the rationale for targeting the endocannabinoid system for autoimmune rheumatic diseases may be a sound rationale. We know that it works for pain management. It's been used in both the oral form and smoked form of pure cannabis to treat pain disorders in the past. That benefit is already there. The question is, can, would it ever be used for management of pain of derm disorders following surgery or for pruritus itself? And we'll look at this and see. When we look at topical cannabinoids for pain management, we can see we have one and two murine models, which are mouse models, one human study here, all small labels, all old. Looking at Look at the number here, eight patients, five of the eight patients reported that they saw a pain reduction of up to 90% using a topical cannabis product for pain management. So this is all in very preliminary stages. And this is a, a summary report from 2017 that was in CUTIS. So in the derm setting, if I look at these four corners, we're talking about the topical endocannabinoid system having maybe an effective uh, impact on lupus in mouse models, okay? When we look at systemic sclerosis, the cannabinoid treatments tend to be making an impact on cutaneous and, and systemic fibrosis in some of the studies that were done. Topical cannabinoids and a very small study of just eight patients seems to indicate that it may help with pain, but still the word's far, far out from that, but we do have some mouse models there. And using it to drive melanoma cell death, well, I showed you that one study on that. This is in vitro and in vivo studies, and nothing else has come out since then. So if we look at more specific derm conditions, is it good for acne is the question. Acne and CBD oils. Well, there's, are there any really good blinded controlled trials? We see in this one, trial this one publication here that it tends to have an anti-inflammatory effect on sebocytes. We see that CBD oil uh, and hemp oil has an impact against E. coli in this study here from 2014 and antibacterial effects using hemp fiber and hemp fiber oils from that. So we can see that there perhaps uh, is an impact on the sebum and it has an antibacterial um, properties to it 
but are there any blinded controlled trials? Well, the only one that I could find, and I'm not saying there's not more out there, but I did a pretty extensive search. It was in 2015 with 11 acne patients. And it wasn't even, this, this trial was a frustrating trial because they used a 3% cannabis extract cream on the right side of the face versus, and did nothing on the left side of the face. And so it was, it was nice to have a split face comparison controlled trial with only 11 patients. And what it showed that the folks that were treated on the right side of the face with a 3% cannabis extract had uh, less sebum production, you, you know, that was basically tested for, by a sebometer. Also found that it, was, it decreased the erythema. So it was reduction in oil production and it was reduction in erythema. But there wasn't any part of the study that did lesion counts, that looked at pustular counts, cystic counts, or did anything along those lines. And so it gives you very limited information, just telling you that it may help with oil production and it may reduce redness in a very small population of patients. So if we move off of acne and look at psoriasis and eczema itself, what kind of impact does it have? Well, this was a particular area of interest of mine. So are topical cannabinoids safe and effective alternatives to our traditional topical steroid therapies or our TCIs in patients that have inflammatory skin disorders? So basically, will topical cannabinoid uh, preparations help us with our inflammatory skin disorders as an adjunctive therapy or as a standalone monotherapy? So this is uh, the reason I have such an interest in this is that this is what I used as my dissertation for my doctorate last year was looking at the role of topical cannabinoids in the treatment of itchy, pruritic, inflammatory skin disorders. And so the objective was to look across all of PubMed, Medline, and Cochrane search, looking for all the studies that I could find that was going to address this issue of whether or not current topical cannabinoid formulations were as a safe and efficacious treatment alternative to traditional topical steroids themselves. These are the results which I will break down into this. So we know, again, mouse models with topical cannabinoids in atopic dermatitis and allergic uh, dermatitis. So these are all murine models looking at atopic dermatitis with CB1 agonist. We see with CB1 agonist and then topical THC. It, and these studies, again, mouse studies, increase in burial recovery rate, decrease in mast cell production and recruitment, decrease in keratinocyte-derived pro-inflammatory mediators. So the mouse models seem to indicate that these medications should help with inflammatory uh, disorders like atopic dermatitis. There was a, pro, a pretty large prospective cohort study involved almost 2,500 patients where they applied an NP, NPE, PEA cream, which is, our, which is an emollient cream that contains uh, CBDs uh, in it, and they saw that there was a significant improvement in patient-reported symptoms and, and, and patient-reported decreased use of topical steroids and an improvement in sleep at night and improvement in itch. So they saw statistical significant, and when they looked at the physician assessment, they also, the physician assessment included less dryness, less excoriations noted, uh, and less erythema. So again, this is a prospective cohort study and it, it seems to indicate that this, this PEA, which is this, this N-palmitolaethylamine cream, I'm not going to say that twice, it's a, it's a CB2 agonist, significant reduction in patient-reported itch, suffering from atopic dermatitis, lichen simplex, parigonodularis, even some reports using this stuff with psoriasis and chronic kidney disease-associated itch, or what we call uremic pruritus. Two different studies indicating that. When we look at astiototic eczema and dermatitis, a randomized controlled trial here, 60 patients with astiototic eczema, applied the emollient cream to the legs twice a day for 28 days. The cream that had the PEA containing 
uh, substance in the NAA substance the control and in a control group. So superior improvement in skin scaliness, dryness, itch on day 28 as measured with the eczema area and severity index score or your easy score, okay? Evaluated by two separate dermatologists. So both the PEA and the NEA creams produce greater change in hydration and of the skin surface measured by a corneometer. So we're seeing that there is one controlled trial, 60 patients, that seems to indicate that using this for astatotic eczema, these, these cannabis-containing creams may increase itch, improve hydration, and improve quality of uh, life in terms of sleep disorders or uh, lack of sleep. Uremic patients, patients on dialysis that have uremic pruritus, 23 patients, non-blinded, single center, use a lipid-rich cream. This is a DMS cream. Again, this is what you're beginning to see a problem. The problem with us not having great recommendations is that if several different companies, several different study centers, several different individuals that all have created their own cream that is their concoction, their mixture, their compounded formulation. So it's really going to take uh, really a large pharmaceutical company to come in and take one of these formulated creams and enroll in a large number of uh, patients that are blinded and controlled uh, over a multi-center, uh, multi-site center area and see if we can get one formulation that is the formulation because all of these studies so far are showing two and three different formulations that are being used. But with this, you're looking at uremic pruritus, we saw significant improvement in pruritus and cirrhosis. In the study itself, it was statistical, even though the numbers are small. Eight patients, 38% reported complete elimination of itch. 81% reported complete reduction of dryness of the skin. Half of the patients, a little over half, found that the study came to be very satisfactory, and another 40% called it very satisfactory. And no side effects were observed during the time of application. So in early psoriasis studies, even back as 2008, was indicating that our results show that cannabinoids inhibit keratinocyte proliferation and therefore support the potential role of cannabinoids in the treatment of psoriasis. And so we know that, that the different mechanisms of action that cannabinoids have the ability to inhibit uh, some of the uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines and inhibit the proliferation of keratinocytes itself. Although there are no controlled, double-blinded, human topical cannabinoid therapeutic psoriasis studies that I could find or identify. There was a recent case report by Adam Friedman at George Washington. This is just coming out of the JDD in August of this year. I consider Dr. Friedman probably one of the most uh, authoritative voices on the use of cannabinoids and his lectures are phenomenal with this and he really has his finger on the pulse of things that are happening. So he puts out a case report here of this psoriasis patient, all right, uh, biopsy-proven psoriasis patient that comes in, they talked to him about putting them on a Primalast or some other products, didn't want to do it, wanted to go natural, recommended trying to do some of these creams. They gave him a THC distillate cream, it had beeswax and some other ingredients in it, a THC distillate cream, a THC soap that was infused with a scent-free hemp, and a hair oil that had THC in it as well. He used the cream and the oil on the skin you know, as it bled out into the skin, cream and oil there, and the oil just in the scalp each once a day, all right, and he used the soap every day in the shower, and these are results at two weeks. You can see that this is two-week results changing from this amount of crust and scale to here, and this amount of crust and scale to here, and the study says they followed him out even out to seven months, and he had decreased the use to almost using the soap a few times a week, using the oil as needed. And so, and I think the, the reason he put this out there is not to say this is what we need to be using. 
Uh, and again, I'm not sure how he came up with this formulation. This is probably something that they have developed inside their own study center. But what it is to say is that uh, the, the write-up on this is to say that we know that, that, that these, this endocannabinoid system and, and upregulating that system has a very uh, anti-inflammatory impact. It's pretty much changing it from an inflammatory Th1 response to a, a pro-inflammatory Th1 response to an anti-inflammatory Th2 response. It tends to kind of shift that scale when using these topical creams, or at least that's a proposal that they have made. In an Italian study in 2019, only with 20 patients, they had five patients that had psoriasis and five patients with atopic dermatitis, and the remaining 10, they were looking at, at scars using this medication, using these uh, creams on scars. So these are all uh, looking at topical applications. The topical application of CBD ointment without THC in it was safe and effective, non-invasive alternative, improved quality of life in these patients, very small in Again, not a huge statistical change in symptoms, but they did see an improvement in POSI index score in the five patients that were on it for psoriasis. So what am I basically saying? The conclusions from me doing my dissertation in 2019 and so much stuff has even come out since then. In fact, by the time you hear this lecture, it's probably gonna have more trials, uh, more information that's gonna be inside the literature if you do another literature search. But my conclusions at this point, as I'm recording this now in October of 2020, there's great promise for topical cannabinoid receptor uh, and agonist to be beneficial in the treatment of uh, algorithm and management of inflammatory skin disorders. Agonist, sorry, I have that written there. So we want these cannabinoid receptors uh, to improve the uh, inflammatory pathway. Healthcare providers should be questioning patients about the use of these products because they are readily available Patients are buying them, patients are using them, and we need to know what our patients are using, and they're not likely going to tell you because they have a negative stigma about letting you know that they're using what they consider a quote-unquote marijuana product. Mouse models uh, studies are utilizing topical cannabinoid creams demonstrate reduction in cytokine-related inflammation pathways, improved barrier function, but there are limited human trials to demonstrate any type of patient or physician reported improvements. We do have some trials that seem to indicate that with uremic pruritus and with atopic dermatitis pruritus, that that pruritus can be improved. Now, if it affects the, the microbiome of the skin, if it truly uh, changes the pathophysiology of atopic dermatitis, that is yet to be seen in trials. If we've only seen that it is improving symptoms patient reported uh, symptoms like pruritus in both of these conditions, conditions and some erythema. So there are currently no randomized head-to-head -head clinical trials that measure and critically evaluate topical steroid therapies versus topical cannabinoid treatments. And that's the key. We don't have any split body, split face, split arm studies using a minpotency topical steroid on one set of, of an inflammatory disorder and a topical a CBD oil, uh, a PEA cream, and NPE cream on the other side and doing an analysis to see if one is truly better than the other. So there's really lack of clinical superiority that has been shown, limited safety data, limited side effect data, lack of FDA approval for these medications, and all of that combined means that you can't really make a recommendation uh, with these topical cannabinoid treatments that they should replace or safely complement topical steroid therapies. That was the conclusion of the dissertation. And what I have to really say to you today, even though we have very respected 
dermatologists that are telling us to use the, that, that, that they are using these products and that we have a lot of, of increasing and mounting evidence showing that they are safe and that they are, are, are helping reducing inflammation and are helping multiple disorders. We still don't have enough comparative data, blinded random control trials to say definitively that this is a drug of choice that should be replacing what we have historically used. So you have a lot of boring health issues as this one physician is saying. So I'm just gonna write myself some medical marijuana because he's bored of it. So this is what we're, so it's open smoke cannabis summary. I think that this is a great article. It's, it's now already almost two years old, but it just talks about the risk and benefits of cannabis in the, in the Durham Clinic. And just kind of goes over a lot of the major issues that I have spoken about today. So in summary, we're looking at topical cannabinoids, effective mouse models and lupus, we know that it has helped with sclerosis, both systemic and cutaneous fibrosis treatments are helping there. We, it is established that it helps with pain management. We know that it, it seems to have an impact in in vivo and in vitro on melanoma cell death. We know that's FDA approved for chemotherapy, uh, weight loss and nausea and vomiting. It's FDA approved for some rare forms of epilepsy. Uh, but when we look into the derm world, we have some trials that are prospective cohort trials, looking at it helping with itch of atopic dermatitis. We know a small study with uremic pruritus. It suggests that it decreases uh, oil production and erythema with acne. We have strong suggestions that it's working in psoriasis, but no large randomized controlled trials. Same with atopic derm and same with astyototic eczema or, uh, in those areas. Could find no trials on dyshydrosis, palmitor pustular, or any of those areas. Uh, nothing on nometer exa per se, but these are the areas where the in summary that we're seeing some impact, mounting evidence, but not enough to be able to make strong recommendations. Topical cannabinoids are increasingly utilized by dermatology patients for a wide range of disorders. However, the acceptance of these over-the-counter products has far outpaced scientific investigation into their safety and efficacy. That's my final conclusion, and I hope this has been helpful to you. I wanted to include all these trials so you can go back and look at these trials yourself, and you can look these things up. And so while studies are encouraging and very promising, I want to say that they're nowhere near being conclusive. And so we're not at the point where we can have conclusive evidence, but there are multiple trials that are going on and we need to really get that lockdown, that formulation for that particular cream or ointment or oil that's going to be used in a large, blinded, randomized controlled trial so that we can really make a, a strong a recommendation and really look at the results both for safety and for efficacy. All right, so the take home message, rather than trying to be a great at dermatology, you can perhaps feel great while you're doing dermatology. All right, and if you wanna really, really, really become an expert in this, actually Thomas Jefferson University, the medical school there is offering a certificate degree in cannabis medicine. It takes you one year to take online classes and they enroll in classes. They just enroll classes in September. They will enroll again. It's a one year program where you take nine hours, three, three credit courses, Online, you can, the pathophysiology, responsive cannabis, conventional cannabinoid therapies of disease, and you, they have the dates online. So if you really wanna become an expert and have a certificate, then you can step out there, put your money forward and have some classes to take. So Snoop Dogg is listening and uh, uh, come and catch me during the fireside chat times and we can talk more about this data or uh, we'll answer some questions directly after this talk as well. Thank you very much.